the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Spot Track Podcast. Kevin Sylvester, Paul Peck, Mike Gennetti, and we are presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. You know it by now what they do they empower professional athletes and entertainers with everything they need to know to make the best decisions about their finances and wealth. Learn more by visiting morganstanley.com slash GSE, Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. Gentlemen, we're going to start with my favorite topic. Yeah, we are. And uh, right in your wheelhouse. And then, and then Mike, we, this, is, can, this may be our most uh, eclectic yeah, version all- of the Spot Track podcast because we're going to talk about your favorite sport, yeah. which is golf. We're going to talk about women's professional sports, which we don't talk about a lot here. Or and then enough. we're going to transition that into sports in New York City and the disaster that it is. How about that for covering yeah. all kinds of topics? Stick around. This is going to be a fun one. Yeah, this is going to be. I'm looking forward to it. Well, let's start with the PGA Championship. Yeah. And because, uh, you know, there's no salary cap on the PGA Tour. Um, but there is plenty of money to be won mm-hmm. on the PGA Tour. And it's interesting how they, how they do it. You have the week-in and week-out purse. You have the money list. But then you also have the points race yeah. with the FedEx Cup. Uh, and by accumulating those points, you set yourself up to make some Ten million, right? Uh, well, but see, everybody looks at the ten million. Well, that's something to look at. <laughs> oh no, no, no! Believe me, I'm not diminishing that. But they also have a uh, Wyndham Rewards right. this year, right? So the top ten in FedEx Cup Free points. Hotel rooms? Is that what that is? Um, how about the person, <laughs> or an actual hotel? The person who's well, you probably invest in one. Um, the person who is number one in FedEx Cup points going into the playoffs, and there's only three playoff events this year. We'll win two million bucks. Nice. All right. Uh, right after, so in the top ten, there's payouts for the top ten going into the into the playoffs. That's a nice and little then, partnership. Right. And but think about this: you you make the FedEx Cup playoffs, uh, the top one twenty five. So you get into a tournament where you can make more money, and then if you advance to the top one hundred, again another tournament where not everybody can make, earn money, mm-hmm. and then if you, in the final, the Tour Championship, no cut. You know, 30 people. There's no cut in the second playoff event either, I believe. Eh, no, that's not correct. But anyhow, the, the last one, you make the tour championship. I mean, you are you're, you're making uh, a, lot, a, a great income and there are annuities, and it's really a great deal for the, for the players Nice to make that. So there's a lot of money on there. Because I think some people are surprised week to week that the purses aren't bigger. Do you get that sense that people are surprised that the PGA Championship was only worth $1.9 million? I'm serious. No, no, I'm serious because I think we think of guys like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and, you know, they they have matches for $10 million easily themselves. Well, they've done done it one time. They've done it one time. Right, but we see those kind of numbers getting thrown around in the marketing and the endorsements that go along with these players and you expect the the on-field earnings to be a little bit more. It's just sort of how sports work these days, right? Well, uh I, I guess perhaps because when they see someone making a salary in baseball, yeah. X amount, but it, they're all here's a, here's a key thing to know with the PGA Tour. Um, and for those who listening here don't know, I am an announcer on PGA Tour Radio. Mm-hmm. I'll be at the Canadian Open coming up in a few weeks. Um, <laughs> so, you and no one else. <laughs> well, actually, Hamilton Golf and Country Club. Nice. I went and played it a couple weeks ago. I'd never been there. Awesome. I mean, just it's it's going to be a shorter golf course. But they're going to have the rough, thick uh, green speeds will be ridiculous and a lot of false fronts. Um, I believe the last Scott Piercy was a champion last time was there, and I think what eight under might have won. Which that's not bad, right? Sounds crazy, that's, right? Yeah, for a PGA Tour event, that's 
tough. Right, but so they are all independent contractors right. on the PGA. They play uh, on the PGA Tour, but they can also go play in the European Tour. They can play in, in other events. So they're responsible for all their travel expenses, their caddy expenses, um, their health insurance. So they, they have, you know, their coaches. they got to pay the coaches and all those things. So Brooks Kepka, for example, um, Claude Harmon, uh, is his coach. So I don't know what he pays Claude, but I'm sure Claude's on a retainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claude travels to uh, all events. I saw him and, and chatted with him just for a bit in Dallas uh, when I was covering Kepka there for the Byron Nelson. And so, you know, those coaches probably covers the coaches travel and all those things. That all goes into it. Yeah, and explain uh, how the sponsorship part of it works. Not not like the Nike, like does, doesn't every pro golfer sort of have backers a little bit that help cover some of the expenses well, and when things they like first, that beyond just what you see on the hat and the bag? Well, it depends. So someone on Kepka's level, like so he's sponsored by Nike head to toe, right? He's got to work. Yes, right. <laughs> I like the swoosh better than the Nike. Me name. too. I think I, I do too. I didn't like that either. Yeah, this, you know. They've done better. Um, heck, they should just use his own logo mm-hmm. now, right? I mean, he's getting into that category. You have there, to think, yeah. right? Um, so he gets paid by Nike. Uh, I don't believe he has a club deal because Nike used to have to play the golf clubs. Matter of fact, Brooks played the Nike clubs, I know, for at least one year after they stopped making clubs because his caddy was showing me these in Boston, and I said, wow, you still using Nike clubs. Like, I can't talk him out of it. Tiger hung on for a while too, right? Yeah. They sent him all the backups. Yeah. Um, until they made made a change, but you know Tiger's got to deal with TaylorMade now. Right. I'm I'm not sure if Kepka has one of those deals, but he also has a marketing deal with Michelob Ultra, hmm. and he may have a uh, you know one Rolex or whomever. But what you're talking about, Paul, is like Zach Johnson's a, the classic example of this. When Zach Johnson wanted to be a pro, he got members of his golf club to put up like five grand each, maybe ten grand each, to give him the money to go out on tour to pay his expenses so he could travel. Pay entry fees right, during and, the tournaments, right? Yeah, uh, on the on the minor uh, circuits uh, to build his way up, and he would pay him back percentage Almost of like earnings. Almost like buying a stock in in him. Correct, right? great stock to buy. By the way, two time major champion in Zach Johnson. Um, so it, Sean O'Hare, a famous one in, in in a negative way. His father cashed in his four hundred one k to send him to all this training and stuff, and he had to pay him back, and it just uh, it, it got ugly, unfortunately. But O'Hare's had a, had a very nice career on the PGA Tour. So I think that's what you're referring yep, to when it, it comes to that. You miss the cut, you make nothing? You miss the cut, you make zero, zero. Fr- from purse. But some sponsors require you to play an X amount of events, mm-hmm. right? Some players will show up if they don't, let's say, for example, they don't have a club sponsor, a ball sponsor. I kept it, by the way, Titleist Ball. But... Um, They'll some companies. I think they're getting away from this, but they'll pay. Hey, I'll give you a thousand bucks to wear my my hat this week. They're gambling, if you will, sure. essentially on this guy's going to make the cut and play well and make the and weekend on TV and get all that uh, television money. Yeah. So you know that that happens a little bit too. So that, that, you know that's that's how tour. But if you don't make the cut, you don't get paid. Wow. You still have to pay your caddy and your and your travel and your travel and your hotel and, and your, your hotel. Fee. But there are some for I mentioned the Canadian Open. So RBC is the sponsor of the Canadian Open, right? Royal Bank of Canada. Mm-hmm. And they have players that they sponsor. So part of their deal is, hey, we're gonna, you know, we'll sponsor you. You can wear a logo on a shirt on the bag. You have to play in our two events, the RBC Heritage and the RBC Canadian Open. And so yeah, what player's not gonna agree? They want to play anyway, so sure. they just work that into their schedule and how it's done. 
and then you earn your way into the PGA Championship in the majors. And that's where the biggest purses are. Right. The Players' Championship has the most money. And, you know, Rory McIlroy won that. The Masters pays out a ton of dough. PGA Championship, same thing. The majors pay big money because it's the biggest events. And it that. generates the biggest sponsorships but, and the biggest right. TV ratings. It's all hand in hand. But you'll see a purse for, you know, let's say, I don't know, PGA is probably around $11 million. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the total purse was. But, you know, the payout's not just Brooks Kepka. The payout moves all its way down to the top 70 spots. Yeah, 82 golfers it ended up being. Yeah, 82, 82 golfers got paid. $1.9 million to 18000 that's the spread sure. from Sunday. <laughs> right. And there were there were club professionals uh, that made it. So some club professionals got a nice check mm-hmm. for making it in the PGA Championship. And got to play the PGA Championship. Right. So. Now, you know, $1.9 million um, was interesting um, for Brooks Kepka. You know, he'll pay out his caddy 10% of that. Mm-hmm. that. That's the standard. I assume he has that agreement. That, by the way, there's no caddies union. There's just a, kind of a, a standard there. Found this out with the whole Kuchar situation. Yeah, right. Um, but anyways, uh, probably 10% goes to his caddy, and he probably has to pay X amount to his coach. One of those coaching deals might be, hey, if I win a major, mm-hmm. you know. So the coaching deals can be structured like they, that? If I win, you get a cut? They can That's be. That's interesting. They can be. Right. Um, you know, but Claude Harmon now is, you know, even more, if he wasn't famous. He's sure. fam- famous enough for the great Harmon family. Uh so anyway, that money will go there. He's got to pay taxes in New York State. I was just going to say, right? Ah, right. there you go. We're there's always tuning into that. Here. There's a, there's there's money, a lot yeah. of money chipping away here. A lot of money, but he's still okay. He's still yeah, going to be yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's talk Kepka because he, he's, he's on a bit of a tear here, right? Is that safe to say? He's on a major four, tear. Four majors in 23 months? He's that's one, that's one, a tear. That's right. <laughs> if, you, if you could bet on uh, a golfer to win the big tournaments half the time, you, you'd do it, right? Especially this one, right? Because of the length. The distance, the, the, you have to go long on this kind of a tournament, correct? The guys who finished first and second were the picks going in. That's right, favorites. They were the favorites the two going big, in. Big long hitters. Uh, the golf course playing soft. Uh, you know the other long hitter, Rory McIlroy, mm-hmm. didn't perform uh, anywhere near where he wanted to when it came to that. But yes, because of course playing long and soft, difficult. To hold. I mean the be- the two the two guys who finished second in the Masters finished one two here at the PGA Championship. Right. That's no mistake, right? I mean, that is, you had the number one player in the world finishing second, and you had who's now the number one player in the world going out there and winning. He blistered the course on day one, uh, came out with another great round in round two, and then, I don't want to say, you know, just kept it, well, for the most part, on the on the train It was entertaining, tracks. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it kind of went into, he went into classic Tiger weekend Masters yeah. mode, which is I have built my lead. I have kind of scared everybody else into, oh, my God, how are we going to catch this guy? So just go out and play par golf. Maintain your five, six, seven shot lead. If the wind hadn't kicked up a little bit on the back nine yeah. Sunday, he would have won by six or five or six yeah. shots. I don't think he went in. I uh, was saying, all right, I'm just going to shoot par. Passive, par. yeah. Yeah, I don't. That, 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 that I to me is not Brooks Kepka. Yeah, actually. but to me, that's a smart. And, and whether he did or he didn't, to me, that's. I think that's a lesson that a lot of younger golfers have learned from both Tiger and from Mickelson to some degree is that, yeah, you don't change the way you play, but you dial it down a notch. You don't have to go for every pin when you have a five-shot sure. lead on Saturday at a Masters. You can be fine walking out of there with a lot of pars. Correct. Um, he clearly knows how to win U.S. Opens and PGA Championships. By the way, that course was set up like a U.S. Open. Uh, or, uh, excuse me, at least what uh, the traditional U.S. Open is. Very thick, rough, mm-hmm. long golf course. 
Um, so that's why I wasn't surprised that Brooks Kepka was going to win that. Not only that, I, I walked with him for four rounds the week before in Dallas. He should have won that golf tournament. Right. He was he was not happy after 36 holes that he wasn't in the lead. I asked he was 11 under, and I said, "Hey, you're playing pretty well. 66, I don't know, 65, 66. Uh, you happy where you're at?" He goes, "No, I want to be in the lead." I got two points yeah. for you about him. Yes. One is. Is he the real deal? I mean, is this just a, another you know in, incarnation of Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth, where we sort of had this conversation, you know, maybe four or five years ago with each of these players? Spieth fell off a truck, and he looked actually decent in this PGA Championship. But I think it's because the greens were pretty pretty plain and simple, were they not? I mean, Spieth can't yeah. putt, and when he can putt, he's fine, and he was fine this weekend. Correct, and. He was from, almost gained from, 10 strokes on the right. field putting. And, and it, from everything I've heard, it's because these greens are set up to be fairly easy. Everything else in this course is long and difficult, and then when you get to the green, it's sort of fair play. So that 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 made him look a little better than he's been, right? Because he's not been good. Almost terrible at times. Jordan has, well, to his standard, right? I mean, Jordan... Well, he said it. Well, yeah, but I'm <laughs> saying his putting was fantastic. Uh, then it went away. His ball striking a couple of years ago was near the tops of the tour, right. but he, he, his putting just went away. And now his putting has gotten better. The problem with Jordan has had is he when he's good when he's good he's really good, mm-hmm. but he has blow up holes. He I mean he just he did it in Dallas uh, he, through two rounds he had the most tied for the most birdies in the tournament, but he also had right. double bogeys in there. You can't make double bogeys if you're going to win a golf tournament. So. Does Kepka have that mentality, or is he more robotic? Is he more like the Tigers, where you get in a groove? He's got he he knows what he's doing mentally. You know you know what I'm saying? Is this is yes. this can he withstand this? Because now this is a big standard. He's put himself on a pedestal now. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing with Brooks Kepka. Everybody wondered, well, why doesn't he talk? He had a little chip on his shoulder because nobody talks about him, mm-hmm. and he finally started you know talking more. Like he was, he didn't come up as the phenom. No, I think you know you, the guys you mentioned. Rory, yeah, yeah. Rory McIlroy was a teenage kid, you know, coming coming on the scene. Uh, Jordan Spieth, same thing, coming out of Texas. You didn't hear about Brooks Kepka. Mm-hmm. He went overseas uh, to, you know. Yeah, wasn't he kind of? Kinda, did, did I hear them talk about he was like one of the last guys to make the golf team in Florida State? I think Florida in, State. Right? That's you correct. No, I mean he was not a, a hot young junior that everybody was chasing. Right. No, this guy. This guy's worked at it. Uh, you know, he, he's. Famous for how he works in the gym, mm-hmm. and but he's worked at his game. You know, this doesn't happen by accident, right? I mean, this is a great athlete who's become a great golfer, but the mental part of it too. I mean, he is—he's laser focused. He likes playing fast. He hates—he hates slow pace on the golf course, and he's just not flamboyant. He's not flashy. No, you know, like he—he he doesn't. Uh, uh, wear anything crazy. I mean, you know, Nike script stuff for him, but you know, he's just you know the guys. We were talking uh, about navy the blue, show. and uh, you know, he he kind of feels like Mike Trout, right? Yeah, I thought you you brought that <laughs> right? up. I think that's an incredibly I mean, accurate comparison. Those are big shoes to put him in. Right? Maybe now. the <laughs> single most talented player in their sport yes. that a lot of people don't know very much about. You know, someone I forget which uh, forgive me. One of the golf writers it was, uh, wrote about it. it. Might have been Chip Duke or somebody. Um, they said this guy is so good looking, but it's average good looking. You know, like it's, it's he's like kind of plain good looking, like Ken Dow good looking, right? Yeah, he's so good looking, he doesn't stand out from anybody. I heard a lot of good conversation looking. this week about right. how he's this man, like linebacker type player. He's like six foot, right? 
He's like six foot one ninety. He's like I'd say he's, he's six, not this towering no, figure. He's, he's not a t- he's not DJ, right? <laughs> right. You know, and, and look at Dustin Johnson, who, who he's you know good friends with, um, great athletic build, but DJ's like six three. Right. You know, he's he kind of walks like a cowboy up the golf. You know, just kind of you know uh, doing his own thing. Kepka doesn't really show a ton of emotion on the golf course, much like Dustin Johnson, but. It's just this, you know, stormtrooper like walk, if you will. Yeah. But that's him. Like that. That's fine. He, he he's he's trying to be more outspoken on stuff. Um, here's the thing: be careful what you wish for, right? Um, now that everybody's picking him, talking about the greatest uh, golfer. He's on a tiger like run. There's gonna be more sure. uh, requests for interviews. There are plenty now, but it's going to be even more, more sponsorship opportunities. Things are going to take him away from what he's done because it's happened to Spieth. Ricky Fowler, yes. Um, they they did a great piece on Golf Channel the other night about okay, you know, Ricky Fowler's the more popular golfer because we see him in commercials and all these things. But Brooks Kepka, right. yeah, when it matters, has had the better career. Yeah. Here's the other thing with Kepka, he he doesn't win PGA uh, Tour events, this, this and was, this is why this nobody my talks about question. him. Yeah, this is why nobody <laughs> talks about him. Because he's only six won six wins. Right. He's won six times. And four of them are majors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. And you're like, uh, we were having this debate at dinner once at a, t- a tournament. Like, wow, it's in Dallas. It's Kepka Hall of Famer. I'm like, he's won three majors. <laughs> How can he not be? Like, well, he's only won twice on a tour events. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, come on. He's won three majors in a short period it's of time. A, it's a really interesting Kevin, why debate, Kevin. And, and do you, he wins do you it. have answers? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you why. Number one, when you go to a PGA Tour event, um, there, the field. I think it's tougher to win a regular PGA Tour event than it is a major. And Kepka even addressed this at at the PGA Championship. And you know why is that? Well, number one, you have 156 golfers, and anyone can be hot at any moment. I mean, you saw a, a Monday qualifier win a, a tournament this year on the PGA Tour. Names escaping me for a second, but you know, just he, he's playing hot, comes through and, and wins. Uh, you know, hot again. So. You kind of run into those things. When you get to a major, there's certain pressure. There's there. And there are the PGA Championship. Like you have 20 PGA professionals. You discount them. Um, they've played their way in. They've achieved something by getting there already. And they're not used to playing week in and week out against the, the game's best players. So um, it's great that they're there. And I'm not trying to put them down. But like no one would ever pick them. Uh, even if I gave you a million to one odds, you probably, mm-hmm. you know, it would just, you wouldn't do it. Uh, and then you, you've got to eliminate half the field. You've got guys who aren't going to make cuts. You look at their history in majors, guys who don't have the distance to play on that golf course, uh, and most of the golf course is now in majors, so you eliminate them. You look at the Masters, there's only 80-some-odd players in the field. You have previous champions. Take 20 of those guys out. You have other first-timers there. You're like, eh, you know, they need to learn the golf course. Right. So and you get to the weekend, sure, 50 guys make the cut, but half of them don't have a chance. So now you're down to 25. Over two rounds of golf, if you're one of the best players in the world, do you feel you can beat 24 other players? Yes, you do when it comes to that. And I think Kepka is the same way. So I think there's a different mentality for the majors. He even says he focuses more on the majors when it comes to that. Yeah. And week in and week out in the PGA Tour, uh, it is tough to win because anybody can do it this at is, that this time. This is how I look at it, and it's completely arbitrary. I'm just saying this because of you know I've followed athletes in different sports, and you sort of – understand how the great ones think because you know that's what we follow i think he takes those non-majors like practice and he uses those to do these shots that paul you talked about you don't do on a sunday you know at augusta and he takes a little liberty and he takes a little bit off and he doesn't have the laser focus in those events because it's 
He doesn't want to get mentally fatigued. And you can. I mean, if you play 16 tournaments, look at we're seeing it with basketball right now. There's a reason the Golden State Warriors took a month and a half off, right? Literally. They all just shut it down for a month and a half. And we all freaked out. But look at they're playing their best right now without their big one of the biggest players. You sort of have to do that. You sort of have to know how to do that. And I'm sure if you asked him, he, there are weekends where he's just there to have fun or he's just there to fill an obligation. Right? Or work on something. And, he, and, he, and maybe physically he gives it his all. But I bet mentally he is in other places. And he doesn't use that mental energy that he would use at Augusta or at Bethpage. I think that's fair to say about um, several players. But, but I will say when they teed up, they want to win. That's what I mean. Physically, um, you're all in. Yeah, they they, they want to win. There are, t- but here's the thing: if they're if it's off, mm-hmm. I see. I, I think for a guy like Kepka, if it's just off, like, okay, I might work on some things here. I'm I'm going to try to finish the best I can. Like, I'll give an ex- Tiger Woods at, at Beth Page Black. Now he's disappointed. He didn't want to make. He didn't make the cut. But you know, there were he was had a shot in the rough on the second hole on Friday, buried in the rough, and he just chipped out to the fairway. And, and they're like, "Whoa, why wouldn't he go for the green here?" And I think Tiger realized I'm not beating that guy this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why am I going to risk this? Yeah, he shut down with that. that yeah, that 63 shut down a lot of conversation. Yeah, is there anybody <laughs> comparable, Kevin, up to to a Kepka in the sense that almost all he does is win majors? Like, is there has there been another golfer that's that's had sort of the career path where half or forty percent of his total wins have come in the biggest tournaments like no, that? Because it's so, very unusual, isn't it? Well let's look at the number one player in the world um prior to Kepka just taking this bounce, Dustin Johnson. You know how many majors he's won? One? One. Yeah. One. But he's won he's won nineteen other times. He's got tw- he's a Hall of Famer. He's a career exemption on the PG tour because he's got twenty wins, which is an incredible Crazy. career. How many? How many? You know, Mickelson, right? I mean, Kepka's approaching yeah. Mickelson until here he in won his first couple majors, like he had, right? Right. But Phil's won uh, over forty-five times on the PGA Tour. An unbelievable career, right? I mean, so uh, so this is the reverse of that to I, some degree, I, I guess. Yes, I, I, smarter. I, I think though. that's fair, right? Yeah, smarter. Yeah. Well, well, last question I have for you, like, but I just want to say this: I think prior to winning this. Um, and this was part of our discussion at dinner. Like, well, he's like Lee Jansen, you know, won two U.S. Opens. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Lee Jansen all of fame? I'm like, oh, that guy won two U.S. Opens. Andy North. Like, what did Andy North win aside from U.S. Opens? Curtis Strange, right? He won back-to-back U.S. Opens. That's that's they're comparing Brooks Kepka to, and I'm like, I don't know. You've won back-to-back U.S. Opens, back-to-back PGA Championships. I, he's I think the number that, one golfer in the world Yeah, now. I think that I mean, Doesn't you, that mean more than winning – the the, oh, yeah. the 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 Heritage Open somewhere along the line or or a random couple tournaments. Well, oh, well, sure. So, yeah. I'm saying in the big picture of things, doesn't back to back U.S. Opens mean more than four other PGA yes. wins? No, no, no question. Is no he, question. Is he the one that's very analytically driven? Is that Kepka? Um, he looks at numbers. He, he's referenced it a little bit, but who's the one I'm thinking of? Is that DeChambeau? It's Bryson DeChambeau. DeChambeau. Okay, right. I get those. Mixed who's up won more bit. PGA Tour events? Then Brooks Kepka, but no major. Not right. when it matters. Last question I have for you on this was you, you brought up Shambo will win one. You brought up Tiger. Obviously, such incredible anticipation after the Masters. He was the betting favorite, which didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, 
this course wasn't really built for who Tiger is now. Mm-hmm. Was what where I'm getting is was that Masters just the perfect storm of everything falling in place for Tiger, or was it the beginning of being a new Tiger that should be able to compete in things like this? Or you know where I'm getting with well, it. Right, wants so to know what do we what do we expect at Tiger? Here was uh, I, I was I, I didn't think Tiger would win or even have a chance to win um, at Bethpage Black. I didn't think he'd miss the cut. But here's why I didn't think he would be a big factor in the week. Because his driving accuracy is not great. Really never was, to be honest. He just hit the ball further than everybody else. And it's a distance game. You only get analytics. Which he doesn't really do anymore, right? Well, no, he hits it plenty far. He hits it, he hits it plenty far, but it's not as accurate. I, I followed him in Mexico. I saw him hit driver on two holes on a golf course that long players overpowered. And Dustin Johnson won that uh, tournament uh, easily. But Tiger kept hitting iron off the tee to find fairways, fairways and greens. But he had himself, left himself plenty of distance. I remember uh, one hole in particular, he had 210 yards in the hole when his playing partners had 140. Wow. So because he didn't hit driver off the tee, because it wasn't accurate. He was fairly accurate at the Masters, but think of hole 11 at the Masters in the final round. Pushes it right. All of a sudden, he's got a little bowling alley out there. There's no bowling alleys at Bethpage Black. There's that thick rough, the fescue grass. You cannot be uh, off the beaten path, if you will, off the fairway at Bethpage Black. Plus, all that time off. I mean, it, it he achieved something that was incredible uh, to come back and do that. Now, let's look at the last two tournaments Tigers won. Tour championship, 30 golfers. He had to beat 29 other players, right? I mean, if Tiger's on, I'll take Tiger at any time when it comes to that. And the same thing with the Masters. Again, what I mentioned before, when you got to the weekend, you're near the top of the leaderboard. The interesting thing was first time he's come from behind to win a major. I do like him at Pebble, though. I like Tiger Pebble, too, because, of course, we'll play a little bit shorter, uh, knows how to play the golf course. Pebble, U.S. Open, I think more players will have a chance to win there Mm -hmm. than had at Bethpage Black. Yeah, and that's, sure. next, that's next month's U.S. Open, which yeah, is the next major. By the way, golf has been great. We've had Roy McIlroy win the Players' Championship. We've had Tiger Woods win the Masters. Brooks Koepka, the PGA We're Championship. We're going to talk about it a little bit. You need your stars to win. You, you need them to win. <laughs> golf, I mean, it's been great. And you're going to have uh, – you want to mention this on SpotTrack.com? Yeah, coming soon. PGA Tour earnings um, by player. We're going to eventually get to a, a spot where we're doing it by tournament. So you can be able to see, you know, Kepka's earnings, you know, at Beth Page and, and so forth. You know, we'll get there. It's going to take some time, but we're going to, you know, release uh, probably in about a month and a half here. Hopefully right around that, that U.S. Open time, uh, we'll have player earnings. Yeah, that's PGA good. Player earnings. And it's, you know, you'd be amazed at how much money players have earned um, you know, not only over a season, mm-hmm. but what they've earned. Like, if you look at career earnings on the PGA Tour, there are some players you're just like, oh my gosh, yeah, like wow, a couple yeah. of uh, consistent top tens, and you're right there. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, the money does fall off quickly. Like, for instance, I think third place Sunday was five hundred grand. Sure. You know, I mean, even even between Kepka and DJ, it was one point nine versus one point one million. Right. You know, that's. <laughs> It's a lot of money. I mean, that, sure. that missing 16 was a lot of money for DJ. <laughs> but, you know, that that's why, you know, in golf, like, it's it's not like um, other – it's not like the NBA championship. You have a champion and then, okay, second place. Hey, second place, there's something to, there's something to shoot oh, yeah. for there. Right? Oh, yeah. There's Third no place, taking. <laughs> right. You know, I, I remember jo- Joel Damon at the uh, John Deere Classic last year. He made a putt for par on the 18th hole, and he's having a great tournament, and a little fist pump there. And I said to him <laughs> in the post-round interview, I said, hey, great fist pump there. That's a lot of FedEx 
points you got for the playoffs. He goes, and a lot of money. <laughs> I need that money. <laughs> I just thought it was. That's great. I thought it was a, a good, honest answer. Uh, you know. Speaking of people that need money, huh? Yeah. Yes. Here's that, how's that for your transition? <laughs> so we, we mentioned that we were going to talk a little bit of women's professional sports, which we, we don't talk as much on here, maybe as we should. Um, but, uh, Mike, you have started to get Trek into the realm of uh, salaries for women's professional sports. And, and again, at, by its nature, they're, you know, the WNBA is what we're going to talk about and it's probably the most prominent of all the women's professional sports there's been some hockey there's been soccer uh there's been some softball but but nothing that's sort of captivated a a broad scale like the wnba what have you what were the things that jumped out at you that you learned about diving into the wnba's payment history okay so first and foremost i want to uh give a little shout out here we we've partnered with highposthoops.com which is um, a really nice website that's been tracking the WNBA for years and years and years. That's really where the news has sort of driven from. Um, and we were able to partner with them to obtain the data for the WNBA for the past couple of seasons and the couple of seasons going forward. So Spotrick now has live WNBA salaries, contracts, salary cap trackers, all the tools we have for the other sports. So uh, we've just launched that this week. So sort of in lieu of that, we're going to have this conversation now that I've had you know a few days to sort of you know, digest these numbers and see where we're at and then sort of understand where we're going because it's a pretty interesting time for the WNBA right now um, for a lot of bad reasons, unfortunately. Uh, Here's what I found. I I did a lot of research here, obviously, in preparation. Um, Let's start backwards here, guys. The, uh, The number one point that came out of my kind of homework with this is we only know what we know. The league has not released any revenue Nobody really knows what the heck is going on financially mm-hmm. with this league. It's just they're keeping it lock and key, you know, in, in a in a computer somewhere in New York City. That's just how this thing is working. They're, you know, the NBA was sort of latching onto this, and, and they've funded this thing for quite a few years. I mean, they owned the teams for you know the better part of the first decade of this league, which is by the way twenty three years old. Really, twenty three years old. Wow. This league is nineteen ninety six. That's great. Yeah, it is. So it's it has sustained, and it, it does appear to be in good shape. When, when I sort of ran the numbers with, with attendance, it was up and down, up and down. And then it actually nosedived in 2018. And then you know what I did? I, I, instead of saying, is there a problem here? I sort of looked everywhere. Everybody nosedived in 2018. All, NBA, everyone went down in in-game attendance. It's just, it's a, it's a problem for every league, male or female. It's a problem. People don't want to go to games because games are on TV. Games are on streaming devices. Games are on Twitter. And the food costs a fortune at games. Parking, all right. that stuff, right? Yeah. It adds up. So if I'm paying 40 for a ticket, I'm, I'm paying 120 by the end of the day. Yeah. So that whole experience as a whole is just sort of degenerating. So I don't think anybody should blame the WMB for being a part of that because viewership's up, way up actually, to the point of they just signed a new lucrative deal with CBS Network. They're going to play a good portion of their games on that channel, which is widely used. They're on Twitter. They're streaming on Twitter their games. They're on ESPN2. They're doing well. I mean, those are big, big names to have this market on. They're doing well, I think, in all the right spots they need to be locally. Um, We just don't know. We don't know from a revenue standpoint what the league is earning. And the reason I bring it up is is that the the Players Association has now officially opted out of the CBA, which now expires after this season. So this is a big, big year. This is sort of the wind down to what looks like it's going to be a holdout. And it looks like this is going to be the first of a few holdouts, right? Because I think we're going to start with this WNBA – we're probably going to have the NFL and the NBA in a year or two, and then I think baseball as well. So this is a really pivotal five years for sports money. 
in general. And I kind of like that the women are first. I, I like that, right? I, I like that the NBA isn't going to dictate how this all goes as a trickle down. I like that the women have a chance now to go in there and say, we need this and this and this, and we're not going to play unless we get it. Um, I'm worried for them. <laughs> I got to say this because here's something I don't think anybody really knows unless they do the research. You might, you might assume that these women have to play elsewhere, and they do. Many of them have, have careers. Many, I mean, there's, I, I, some of the big players have like record labels, furniture companies, you know, like online businesses they run just to supplement their income. But the majority of them, I think more than half, go to Europe and play. And this Where is the, women's basketball is incredibly huge. popular. So they get paid more in Europe. Way more. These, the starting salary in Europe is a hundred grand. Huh. Starting salary, with, usually with all expenses and tax, tax-free, with automobiles, hotel, right. how you know, it's, almost it's a everything. Legitimate covered. women's league over there. So, this is like the secondary league, and that's why it's going to be a problem for them to go to this, you know, into this holdout with the CBA and say we need this and this and this. The good thing is Europe sort of has the model built, right? And they're doing well. They're popular. These women are celebrities over there. And that's the point I wanted to make here at the end of this conversation is that to me, that's what really needs to happen is not only do, all right, let me, let's get to numbers first real quick. The, the big number in the NBA, I'm not going to talk about Steph Curry's salary and I'm not going to compare that to Brianna Stewart's salary. That's ludicrous. Nobody should do that. Don't go to the spot track and compare the, you know, women to men. Don't do it. It's just silly because, you know, the, the, the NBA has had decades more to, to get to this sure. point. They've gone through their humps, you know. They've taken their lumps. They're at an unbelievable point right now. You don't, you don't compare any sport to the NBA right now in terms of money. You just don't do it. So, I'm not going to have that conversation. But what I am going to have is the revenue conversation. The the last time that the NBA had to go through a CBA situation, the players themselves, LeBron, Chris Paul, a couple others, sat in a room and said, "We're not leaving until we get 50 percent of the revenue," and they they were successful with that. So, whatever half of the revenue is for the NBA. That turns into the salary revenue for the players, and that's how the salary cap is driven and all that. With the WNBA, that figure is 23% right now. That's just unacceptable. Mm. And you can understand that being the reason they want to hold out here. I mean, obviously these franchises are not making tons of money. I'm sure the owners are bleeding money right now. You know, it's 23 years old. That's, sure. You're not going to make money in that kind of a situation you know, until something really big hits. But they're also not promoting... They're not giving themselves an opportunity to hit big. You know what I mean? Like these, these major stars, I mean, we've had this unbelievable run of women's college basketball, and they have not been able to capitalize on it. You know what I mean? These, these right. girls all do play in the WNBA. The Maya Moores, the Brianna, they're all there. I, um, I'll even go back a little bit, like the Diana Tarazis, right? Do you know, she, she, had to go, she had to go abroad a couple of times. Wow. They, they can't even take care of these, of these major mega superstars that we follow for four years in college. Right. And to me, that's just an opportunity miss because we do we are watching college women's basketball. We are doing brackets in March. We're, sure. we're doing this stuff. That stuff that that popularity needs to translate directly to the women's women's league. And unfortunately, it's getting bled out over to Europe, where they're just they're able to make a living over there. So the supplemental income is a huge problem um, because these women feel like they're part time here and they are part time here. Look at here's the numbers. The max salary right now, and there's only one person making it, is one hundred twenty seven thousand dollars. There's only one person making that. The average, I'm going to guesstimate because I don't have the bonus information sort of locked down yet, but I'm going to guess it's right around that 100000 mark, right around there. I'm, the, the, the middle class is about 90000 90 around there. So um, your rookies coming in, if they're the top you know, first-round rookies, they're making about $53,000, which sounds like a decent living, but no way. 
Not right? not in professional sports. No way. No. When right. you talk about all the money we just talked about in golf, all that exists with these women as well, too. And we're going to get into it. The, the, the big gripe they have, obviously, is the revenue, the, the revenue split and, and how their, their number is so low compared to other sports. But it's also really stupid stuff that just seems like no-brainers. These are six foot five women, and they're sitting in coach in normal rows. There's no, they're not getting the exit rows. They're they not don't getting, charter flight. No, and I wouldn't expect. I don't, they're not asking for that, from what I've read. They're not asking for luxury, luxury, but they're they're not getting TSA pre-checks, so they're standing on the lines that we're standing in, which is, which, you know, you can go, go one way or another on that. But when you're traveling all the time like they are, that's a pain in the rear. And they're and they're and they're six foot five women not getting you know extra leg room that the league could be providing them. I, you That's know fifteen bucks I, a trip. I, I, <laughs> either way, like get global entry. Uh, either for them, it's a hundred bucks. But and your TSA pre approved. Their point, yes, the point, I, I, their I agree. Is, I agree. It's if that, you're going to pay me fifty three thousand right. dollars, I shouldn't have to go. Well, pay and there's for no other. Entry. There's right. no <laughs> other professional sport that flies its players coach, or none of the ma- every other major men's professional sport charter flights and, on all their uh, on all their games. And from what I'm reading, they're not even complaining about that. They, they don't. They're not asking for first class. They just want a better, a little bit better living. Right. Thing, you know right. I mean? like, sure. Just make this a little bit nicer for us because you are our part time job, and we are putting in all this work. I mean, these girls, the second they finish their season in the WNBA, they're gone. They're going right to Europe for their real season. <laughs> you know what I mean? And look at, we, we finally had one really get, really bite them in the butt here. Brianna Stewart went to Europe, had a, had a full season, made a good, good paycheck. Former UConn star. Tore an ACL. She's not going to play the entire 2019 season. She was the MVP of the league last year in the WNBA. And she's out for the entire year now because of an injury that happened in Europe. And when that starts happening, it's almost... It's bittersweet, right? Because it's happening on the cusp of this CBA lockout, which you know is going to happen. And now they've got this big elephant in the room to point to and say, look, it, if, we, if we're going to preserve our league and have these stars be the cornerstone of this franchise, we can't have that. Can you imagine Patrick Mahomes going and playing in, in the CFL yeah. to supplement his income sure. and tearing his ACL? Well, well the, the, other, the NFL would go bonkers. Well, and, and then you could also argue that you tear ACL from wear and tear from playing in two no leagues. No question. Well, yeah. Right? The, the health part of this is a huge issue. That's why the NHL has yes. gotten out of the Olympics because of the yes. fear of injury for players. All like these that. other leagues have caught up to that. I mean, look at I went to a, the Sloan Conference God, six years ago now. I, I sat in, this sounds like the most boring class in the history of the world, but I sat, I sat in a lecture of sleep analytics. <laughs> for the NBA, this is a real, real thing. These people have these. Stay team, awake through it. The, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you're done for the day. Let's walk off. But there are there are there are sleep doctors within these organizations who are saying you need to sleep more. You're taking tomorrow's practice off. They're monitoring every. Well, step partly of these that's players. because NBA players generally aren't getting right. into a hotel room until two or three in the morning Listen, after night after games. But can you imagine what the yeah. women are going through if they're right. leaving practice to go to work? Sabers yeah. did. <laughs> Sabers did this. Circadian rhythms. Yeah. You're talking about right? Yeah, it's a real. It's because a real thing. same same deal. We would get in off the team charter. Mm-hmm. Some you know, especially back to back nights. You 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 know, you get to the hotel one a.m. If you're going to Canada, sometimes it's one thirty. You know, there are a few times in Montreal you got held up a little bit. Oh, you're playing, the, you play the Canadians tomorrow. Oh, we check every bag. You know, like uh, it takes a little. It's a terrible French accent, but anyway, um, you know, and and how you know when you get to a hotel room, do you fall asleep right no. away? No, no way. Right, so everything's thrown off. Right, everything's thrown off a little bit. So yeah, that 
That does matter. It does matter. So the health part of it is a real big deal, and it's it's what a lot of the women are are, are clamoring about. That you know, we're not complaining that we get to play in two different leagues. They're, they're blessed, of course. They they all feel great, you know, grateful that they get the an American league and a European league that you know want them. But that's not sustainable. And if this league is going to continue to flourish, the WNBA and flourish is a maybe the wrong word, but you need these women, these superstars coming out of UConn and Baylor and you know Notre Dame. You need them in your league for 10 plus years. You, you just do. You need longevity out of these superstars because that's the only way for, for fans to sort of latch on. It's what every other sport is losing, right? I mean, you're having these Kevin Durant's bounce around the league three, four times in his career, and that's a detriment to the fans of the hometown. But in, in a league that's still as new as WNBA, you need consistency. And player, I'm not saying no player movement because that's that drives news, that drives social media. We, we've talked about that here a drives lot. Drives excitement, it drives player centric model. You know, leagues are good for the leagues themselves because we're all talking about it all the time, and they do need some of that. They, we did just have a couple of trades that actually made some news in WNBA, but for for the most part, you want these core players on the in these big cities in the New Yorks and in the in the Vegases and the, and the Los Angeleses to be there. So that you can have a fan base that can latch onto them and then grow together. So it's there's a lot to talk about, lots to unpack. The money's okay, bad. We talk about it. You know, the salaries. I think the salaries need to come up, of course, but they've just got to be making more of the pot, and we need to know what that pot is. And I think that's what the arguments are going to be in this next CBA. All right, I'm going to have my dynasty uh, owner team is going to have circadian rhythm studies uh, for my fantasy. <laughs> yeah, we need that in team. fantasy, right? Who's too tired to play this week? Yeah, dynasty <laughs> owner, by the way. And if you haven't heard about this, make make sure you pay attention right now and check this out. Dynasty owner, it is the first dynasty salary cap fantasy sports game. That not only lets you play the game week to week, but uses actual contracts, actual salaries, giving you the roster power to be the coach, general manager, and of course you're the owner. You don't just trade players for players. So Dynasty owner, you can acquire draft picks or Dynasty dollars, which is the virtual currency used to play the game. You rack them up each week, win or lose, and you build a Dynasty long term, year to year. And one of the great things about it is the the percentage points for your bench because it's happened to every one of us in fantasy football where you have a player sitting out that week you're trying to look at a matchup and then <laughs> you got it wrong guy went off or a player gets hurt the the you know Darrell Revis didn't cover the guy that week and boom he has a big week well don't worry deep bench you'll get percentage of your bench points in dynasty owner so make sure you check it out dynastyowner.com you get to play, stop playing fantasy sports, own it, dynastyowner.com, sign up for the 2019 beta draft. Matter of fact, if you do it well enough, maybe the Jets will hire you, Paul, to be the general manager. <laughs> yeah, they are looking for someone right now. We're going to wrap this edition of the Spot Trek podcast up with a little to topic of discussion about New oh. York City and the disaster that a number of teams and a number of sports oh. are, <laughs> starting with the Jets, then to your Mets, to the Knicks, but let's start with the, what starts yeah. with the Jets. I they are. Say, I didn't even include the Giants in this conversation because well, that's a whole other enchilada. Right, some people think they're equally as a disaster, <laughs> hey, too. Eli just, uh, you know, it was a great, great press coverage yesterday. Did you right? see the photo of Eli Manning and Daniel yeah. Jones practicing? They're exactly the same person. It's the exact same <laughs> facial expression. Yep. It, it's unbelievable. It's an all-time picture. Yeah. So the Jets, <laughs> no wonder why Gettleman the Jets shocked the world by firing their general manager um, and promoting a coach they hired a couple of months ago to the position until they can figure out what they're doing there. Uh, it is just too much ammunition for those in the world that think the Jets are just a, a, a disaster and always are and always will be. Um, 
the, the timing is odd, is weird, although really not in honestly in NFL circles. It's kind of this is one of the points in the year when you make front office changes um, after the draft contracts go through the draft. It's hard to do that earlier in the year. Um, so it, it, I know it on the on the outside it looks horrid um, that you just let this guy determine your offseason and then you fired him. But it's not, frankly, it's not ridiculously unusual in the NFL. What you would hope is that the people that are still within the organization, ownership and so on, played enough of a role in the decisions that were made in the offseason that they were decisions they would have made regardless who the general manager is. Uh, let me answer that question this way. Do some research on Adam Gase during the draft, and you'll have a lot of fun with that. Did you hear this? Well, story? I read he moved his seat so he wouldn't he be did. on the sh- on the TV shot. He on got the himself TV out of the view. camera. He yeah. did not want to be seen. And well, it's after the introductory press conference. He didn't want the face. <laughs> yeah, the eyes. <laughs> the eyes. Yeah, maybe those eyes meant something. Um, <laughs> yeah, he got himself out of the way, and he he essentially, and this is what the the New York guys have said, he wanted no part of that draft, none. And now I didn't think it was a bad draft. I thought it was an incorrect positional draft for them. Um, just you know, I, Quentin Williams is one of the best players in that in yeah. that draft. I mean, he's going to be a some top people three, thought the best player the best. in the draft, right? But you know, we're, we're in well, an era where you just drafted your quarterback. See what what right? surprised me the most about this was Adam Gase has a very questionable background Can I say as this? a coach. Who the hell is Adam Gase? Who the hell is Adam Gase? That's, isn't one that of the, the reasons, point here? One of the reasons he got fired in Miami was apparently there were stories about he kind of pissed everybody That's off right. there with this, I know better than you, I'm the boss, you do it my way. So that's just shocking this to happen. me. It's shocking to me that you not only hired him with all this baggage, right. but then just continue to give him more and more power. And then he basically pouted when he didn't get what he wanted in the draft, went to ownership, and that led you to ownership to fire the general manager. Well, if you're if if you're ownership, what can you do? What what's the easier position to get rid of right now? Oh, that's a good question. Right, that's a I, good question because you, you listen. You've got your players in. You've got you've got all, all your systems set to go. <sighs> Uh, mini camps are, are here. Training camps uh, uh, just over a month away. Um, and to change to change GMs, like but wait, it was you know, so bad that they had to move on it this year. They couldn't give oh, these yeah. two a year to figure it out. I listen. I, 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 mean, I agree with. I, to me, it smacks like being all in on Gates because if you're yeah. going to take Gates's side in this, which apparently it was, that. That's what happened here. Gase didn't like him. They didn't mesh. He didn't do what he wanted. So whether Gase was the guy in the owner's ear more so than the former GM Mike McCagnan tells you, well, this guy is the one that complained more, and I've got he's my new shiny new toy, so I'm going to side with him. Now, what's come out of New York was that there was some unhappiness with the general manager even previous to the gay signing, so this was starting to go down that road to some degree. Then shame on them, because you know what happened? That GM pumped out $300 million in contracts and $130 million guaranteed. Right. That's what he did this offseason. Yep. That's more than any other GM in football. The Jets let him have free reign. So if they hated him, don't let him do that. You know what I mean? Don't That's let him an do ownership. that. Don't as, let him as, sign an inside as I've always for been, 90 million. As I've always been told, Kevin, in covering the NFL for all these years, when things happen that make absolutely no sense, it's usually because you have it's the owner that got involved. And in most cases, we're starting to learn most of the owners in the NFL are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Idiots when it comes let's, to being NFL sure, owners. Let's make sure we snip at that, right? Yeah. For a sound yes. bite. Yeah, that, Please that was do. Paul Peck. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I'm just... 
they've been. Listen, here's here's the thing. I I think with long term, long time owners like these are most of them have accumulated. Most of them aren't long term owners. That's right, the problem. Well, but they but they're educated people and they can pick up on a thing or two. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends how active they want to be. And it, frankly, if I owned a team, I'd I'd be pretty damn active. Like if I put that big of an investment, I want to yes. know what they. I want to know what the hell's but going on. But active and qualified are two different it's things. It's not like this was a sit back, sit back, and yeah. let's see how the off season goes kind of year for them. Right. They were all they were in. all in. They let this sure. guy do whatever the heck he wanted. Oh, Le'Veon Bell, you want twenty four million? Yeah, go ahead. Let's go. Well, who the hell hired Gase? It's exactly. obviously the owner. It's obviously the owner. It wasn't the GM, right? Correct. Well, I, I guess not. Even though he was supposedly involved in running the search, it's just so silly. Yeah, this is silly. Yeah, Adam Gase has oh, no experience. Yeah, because Doug Whaley, Doug Whaley ran the search on Rex Ryan. He was in the room. Come on. Right. He yeah. stayed out of the camera. Which, which to my point, and, and I don't want to make a blanket statement, I think that, you know, if you, you read the story that ESPN, the magazine, did about the Cleveland Browns and their owner a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. it made your head spin that the guy could be so ridiculously bad and impetuous. And my point is that, the new generation of owners in the NFL are incredibly successful people who have made a lot of money in most cases and been very good at what they are, businessmen. But being a good businessman and being a good NFL owner are completely different and almost unrelated. And the problem is when you're an owner, you come in with a certain amount of authority because of who you are and a certain amount of ego and everybody else acquiesces to what you want to do. And in most cases, we're starting to see a lot of the decisions that are being made by owners are the wrong ones, partly because they don't listen to the people that they've hired. Or they, hire, or they hire bad people. Or they hired bad people. So, right. you know, that's, you know, I mean, Daniel Snyder, and, and we can rattle off a lot of these guys, and all you have to do is read some of the incredible stories that ESPN has done over the years about owners, the situations with L.A. and whatever. It, it, my reaction to reading them was like, how could these guys be so stupid sometimes? They're supposed to be incredibly smart, successful people. Let's move on to the match then. There you go. Oh. <laughs> Not necessarily as quietly successful yeah. there, right? I wrote him into the show, so I got to take the lumps. Yes, I guess. you do. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Speaking of GMs, I'm going oh. to uh, have a problem with here. Look, we wow. talked about this the second he was hired. This we talked it. about this when he was hired. This guy was was the agent for half the Mets team, and then he brought in like three more former clients to the Mets, right. and we all said, "Oh, this could work. Could work. Maybe it'll work." It didn't work. All right. It's. I know it's May, but it's, it didn't work. Robinson Cano can't hit. He's not trying. He just got benched because he didn't try. We owe him a hundred million more over the next four seasons. So oh, when you say we, you mean the it's me. Mets, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm in. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Purchases of Mets yeah. memorabilia. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually wearing a Mets T-shirt today underneath my. Warriors. Are you? Yeah, it's your undershirt though, right? That's yeah, usually how people wear Mets T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it. Here's the numbers. It's silly. It's dumb. So you know, is, I don't know. Didn't fall uh, off a horse, but fell into a hole and <laughs> broke his ankle, and he's got bad hips and. He was. He doesn't really try either. But we owe him sixty million more. He's played. He played thirty-eight games last year. He's going to play zero this year. Ah, uh, he's done. Three years, eighty-five, ninety million dollars. Yuck. What are you going to do? Jed Lowry, another Brody Van Wagenen client, brought over to be a third-string shortstop on this team. Two years, twenty million. Has yet to step on the field. Just got sent to the sixty-day IL. Excuse me. Todd Frazier is 150 year, you know, years old. Nine million more in 2019. He's batting 208 as a Met. That's not going to do that's it. That's 208 me. points higher than you and I. <laughs> and Jed Lowry, by the way. Yes, that's right. <laughs> right. 
I mean, the, there were there were at least eight that I could find current Mets players that this was his agent last year. That's not good. It just does. It isn't good because this guy is involuntarily going to bat for these players. He is. Well, he's got subconscious he's got bias, he's got right? History yes. with them. He knows Correct. their family lives. He knows their. He yeah. can't separate church and state with these players. You sure. know what I'm saying? And that's a problem for a team that needs to really go. I mean, look at you did sign Degrom, a former client of Brody Van Wagenen, of course, who's noticeably been taking starts off. I'm guessing that's not the coach's decision. Um, Syndergaard needs to get paid. Wheeler needs to get paid. Matz is going to need to get paid. We're in this era right now. Like you had your rookie quarterback, right? This was your four-year window with these Mets pitchers, and it's gone. And now they're, you know, four games under 500. And, you know, whether you're a fan or not, you had to look at that Mets pitching staff and be a fan of it. Yes. Right? They, they all sort of hit at the same time. It's like getting your running back, your wide receiver, your quarterback, and your tight end on rookie deals all at the same time. And you're like, it's the Chiefs. It's what it is. It's the Chiefs before two of the Chiefs had to go away. But it's it's essentially that, right? That's what the Mets had in their pitching rotation. All They all kind of came up together, and you, and you had to think, this is going to work eventually. Well, we're at that point where it needs to work. And it's not working. So who else are you going to blame? They're going to blame the, the, the manager. He's going to be fired probably by Friday um, to take the fall for this. But it's a financial mess. It's an on-the-field mess. And I have to stem it back to the fact that this guy is a former agent who had way too many ties to these players directly. I mean, he was – you know, if you're bringing in an agent who, you know, dealt directly with West Coast players or, or you know, somebody who knew the system, knew, knows the current, you know, structure of baseball, blah, 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 but didn't have these relationships – Maybe there's a there's a chance for that to be successful. We've seen that in other in other teams. This just was you know like bringing your uncle in and saying let's go, and it just didn't work. It did you know, and I don't see a path for where that's going to succeed. So that's enough about the Mets. All right, <laughs> Paul, the Knicks. Yep, the, didn't not, get that number one. It's pick. not rigged. It's not rigged. It's not rigged. Oh, Shocking. You, huh? you had to think it was when the Lakers jumped up though. <laughs> I mean that had everybody spinning. Sure it did. <laughs> But uh, the, the Pelicans that was TV, man. Uh, win the NBA lottery. The Knicks do not. We talked about it that morning. We did. What if the Pelicans win the lottery? Yes. So what is that's the question right now. What if now that the Pelicans have won, what the heck happens? Did I he mean, hire? It, I don't think Zion smiled. By I, way. I also <laughs> think I think was Connor McDavid being you know, right. When, the the yeah, Edmonton, Edmonton Oilers winning the lottery. Yeah, McDavid where the hell is Edmonton? Edmonton? I think we should also talk about whether there's any chance that Zion goes back to Duke <laughs> at all. Zero. He goes to Europe before he goes to Duke. Okay. He's getting paid. He's getting paid by a sneaker company and by a basketball team this year somehow. Um, I think it's going to be New Orleans. I, I just think that the logical step then is what happens to Anthony Davis. Sure. I mean, you have to run him out of town at this point. The guy walked in into the stadium wearing a shirt that said, that's all, folks. Yeah. I mean, Seems you, like you, there's you, no you way come you back could... from that. No, probably not. <laughs> well, hold on a second, though. Does this change his mind? Like, oh, wait but a second. But do they let him change his mind is my point. Well, because they put their foot down. This is their. This is this is. Is it Loomis? Loomis owns this team too, right? The yes. Saints owner. Yes. Yes. No, not not Loomis. Uh, the Benson. Gale. The Benson. Gale. Benson family. Gail Benson. Yes. She she put her foot down on that first trade, so she she's got the leverage here. She, it's her decision. Here's here's the problem they're going to have. Mm-hmm. I see. Like, you know, all apologies to the great folks of New Orleans. They're they're not a mega NBA franchise. They're the lowest. Yeah. They're the smallest so, NBA franchise in the league. Um, he's not uh, he's not going to want to be there long term. Uh, Davis? Uh, no, I'm talking about Zion. Zion. Well, right? But he's there for four years. He's there for four years. Yeah. So that, that's your window is four years. 
So if yeah, you don't need a malcontent in Davis. Yeah. And if you can move him to get parts to play with Zion okay. and try to do something soon. I mean, they've tried, by the way, when they got uh cousins a couple yeah. of years ago. It's not like That's they right. haven't tried. I yeah, mean true they, holiday, yeah. Holiday, yeah, they had they had a very nice team. Mm-hmm. And but they've got small windows, uh the franchise like New Orleans. So yeah, and this makes it easier. Well, to, this makes it easier to move on from Davis because it's all about Zion. I agree. Right? I, I, let's let's bring it back to the Knicks because they won the number three pick. Is that enough? I mean, they don't have a, they don't have a roster of players. They can just you know. No. Put, first of all, they've got to match Davis's money. That that has to happen in an NBA trade. You got to match the money. So they've got to put together quite a package of players, and they're not really desirable players. Plus the number three pick, plus maybe another first in twenty twenty or something. Um, you could get the Duke teammates, maybe with one and three. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, if yeah, if you're dr- drafting R.J. Barrett, you trade him to the to the Pelicans. Uh, is that enough for the Pelicans? I I tend to think Boston still wins out here because Boston needs to gut that team, right? Yes. I mean, that was they need to make some changes. That was the end of that. They still, I I would imagine, want Anthony Davis as the cornerstone going forward because you know Kyrie Irving is not the cornerstone going forward. Um, but they've got NBA ready players that they could acquire. And to me, that's more appealing to New Orleans. I would agree. Yeah, you can't. Right? If you got a four-year window with Zion, if you're looking at it that way, you need some NBA players. With playoff experience, yes, by the way, which to the play, Lakers don't to, have. <laughs> to show him the way, play, you know. He's not He's not coming in like Jordan no. and scoring all these points. I don't see that because his jump shot's uh, not that good. But he's a star. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And he'll be, uh, you know, we talk about Blake Griffin, more like Blake Griffin. Yeah. Uh, when he came in, he'll be a force to reckon with. I think he's going to play in the NBA mm-hmm. because there's too much money he'll leave off the table. I don't care what sneaker deal he's got. They don't want that sneaker deal in Europe. They want it here in the That's United right. States. All right, so we, we talked about the the, China, the, the disasters of the Jets, the Mets, and the Knicks. So I think the, the way to wrap this up is the question for you two guys. Does professional sports need successful teams in New York City? I think those. Because that's what we're done. talking about here, isn't it? I think those days are done. I think we all want it because you know that's where the the TV networks exist, and that's where you can show more you know primetime games. Does it matter? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you when the Stanley Cup Finals are set. We'll tell you if it matters. St. <laughs> <Saint> Louis. <laughs> well, Boston. Well, Boston's in. Boston's but uh, you they know, were dying for Carolina. St. Yeah, Louis. Yeah, if it was going to be Carolina. <laughs> Yeah. In St. Louis, yeah. he'd have been like, "Whoa!" <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it matters media market wise for ratings. I think it does. Really? Yeah, I do. For for network contracts, absolutely. Because there's more eyes in New York to be watching the sure. Knicks. Sure. Yeah. Listen, I think, do you think the- all that money be paid to the NFL? Uh, well, NFL is different because of uh, the gambling aspect uh, mm-hmm. of that. So, which we might be coming close to that. Here in New York. In, in, here in New York State. Yeah. yeah. I uh, just think in the world we live in now where you can see any game, any way, anywhere, it's not what it used to be that you needed it needed to be the over the air channel in New York. I, I, I don't know that New York well, has the significance beyond what you talked about, Kevin. I just don't know that a league needs to have its New York team be successful to be well, successful. Well, the NBA is a clear example of that yes. because it, it yes. I mean NBA proves your point. Um so exactly. Let so. me let me put it this way. Because the last point I made here for the show is, is Zion not being in New York more enticing to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and those players who are going to be on the move, right? To go to New York? Yes, right? Because Zion's going to take a ton of the attention wherever he is. And I kind of like that it's in in this nice, quaint little New Orleans you know, franchise that you know, w- once they do part ways with Anthony Davis, is going to need that, that centerpiece. He can be that centerpiece. And even if he's not the best player on that team, he can be the most polarizing. Right and th- and that yes, but 
Kevin Durant, from all signs, from all reports, wants to be both. He wants to be the best player on the court and the most polarizing player of that franchise. He wants to be the man, right? Because he hasn't had that yet. And if, and if Zion was going to the Knicks, I, I, I right. wonder if that means Durant doesn't go. And the Warriors proven that he's not the man. They just yeah, swept I mean, the Blazers. I mean, Amazing, isn't it? Right. Steph, Amazing. Steph Curry I mean, is the man of all Curry men. is the man. Yeah. yeah, and Green, by the way. When he wants to be. Right. When right? he wants to be, he wants to be. He's an amazing player. Um, he's Dennis Robin, but better. How's that? Draymond Green, with his mouth closed, is what I really want for Zion Williamson. That's what I want. I want that kind of player. Comparison. That's what I want. I think he can be better because I think he can be more polarizing around the rim. You know what yeah. I mean with a little with, with a little hoops and stuff, but that's the kind of player I think. See, see, and that that's not the star, right? That's what I'm saying here. Zion is. I don't think Zion's going to be the best player on the court all the time. You know, they're eventually going to have to acquire somebody to go above him and be, you know, the shooter, the outside shooter, obviously, which is where the league is right now. But I just I, I wonder if it's a blessing for the Knicks not to get Zion Williamson because it does keep the door open for three legitimate free agents to come now. Whereas putting Zion with you know. Some big personalities. You never know how that's going to work. We didn't see it. Didn't certainly didn't work in Boston, right? And we've seen it not work elsewhere. So I, I just wonder now if it's if 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 New York is set up for a better scenario with a Durant and a Kemba Walker in a situation like that. We'll see. I do have advice for Zion Williamson if he hasn't already. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to our friends at Morgan Stanley Global Sports Entertainment. Yeah, he's ready. So you're ready. Yeah, yeah they for, can handle that Nike deal. Don't worry. They can handle the Nike deal. <laughs> they can handle the contract and it, it, it guide you on what to do with the money so you make informed decisions. Uh, learn more. Visit morganstanley.com slash GSE. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC member SIPC. That does it for another edition of the SpotTrack.com podcast. Remember, check out the premium section, ad-free experience. All the contracts are there. WNBA there as we've talked about. Golf coming soon. For Mike Gennetti and Paul Peck, I'm Kevin Sylvester. We'll talk to you next time here on the Spot Track Podcast.